Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast: Intimate Personal Conversations with Theater's Biggest Names. <laughs> I'm Alan Seals. I don't know who I am anymore. Yeah, yeah, you're kind of getting spaced out over there. I'm fine. Um, hi, Jillian. Hi. Uh, for those of you listening, in case you missed it on the last episode, we just launched a Patreon. So if you can head over to patreon.com slash the theater podcast, please show your support in any way that you can for cheaper than your average cup of coffee, at least in New York City. You can help us out and help us keep going. Yeah, you have some cool stuff. There's a lot of great different tiers where you can support us. Uh, one of my favorites is every month we will send you some really cool, unique Broadway swag. I like going to the different shops and the flea markets and finding all these cool collectibles that you will never see again. So, uh, yeah, if you if you want some cool stuff, you can uh, join that tier on Patreon. Patreon.com slash The Theater Podcast. So now on to business. This episode is with Warren Carlyle, director, choreographer, extraordinaire, and also personal friend of many people like Mel Brooks. We hear that story in this episode. Never heard of him. And uh, Hugh Jackman. He was like, oh, yeah, I just left Hugh. Hugh got on a city bike and left, you know, what rode down the street. It was like, what? <laughs> That's just normal life for normal him. Normal life for Hugh and Warren. We, uh, he was really, really interesting. He's he's a little soft-spoken, but, like, in, like, the way where he's he's a dancer and a choreographer. So, like, he's very soft-spoken um, in his voice, but his movements are very loud and noticeable. Yeah, this would have made a much better video podcast. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, he, he was... Like, he just tells the story of his career and his childhood, and it's just, like, name after name after name of of going after opportunity to opportunity. Like, he worked on Fosse. He worked on The Producers. He worked, of course, with Hugh Jackman. He, like, Susan Stroman, the famous, wonderful Susan Stroman, has brought him along mm-hmm. uh, because, of they, you know, she recognized his talent and, and took him with with her on the productions that she was working on at the time. Yeah, I think it's the importance of saying yes. Um, and just when something comes up, you just go for it. He said he went to America for, I believe, six months and mm-hmm. never left. So just say yes and, and go for it because you never know where you're going to land. Mel Brooks helped him get his green card. And his first apartment. <laughs> and his first apartment, which we both talk about. Talk about both of those uh, in this episode. But um, what really... One of the things that really impressed me, uh, I, I'm a creature of habit. I like to like find a formula for things in my life. And like I'll change it up every now and then, but I don't want to solidify it and then move on to the next thing. When I asked him about his approach to choreographing, he said it changes every time. I, As a creature of habit, I would suspect that you would approach a show or approach a project sort of in the same way of like, oh, okay, this one me and Tony last time, so I'm going to kind of follow the same thing again this time. And obviously he just, you know, you'll hear the story in the episode, just didn't do it, doesn't do it does something different every single time depending on if he knows the actors first or he knows the directors first or if he knows the script first. And like right now, he's already rehearsing or thinking of choreography for Music Man in mm-hmm. 2020. Yep. it's. Uh, I think it just goes along with um, the real artistry of it, of there's no one-size-fits-all for anything. And so um, he just, whatever feels right is what he goes for. And that's why it's so brilliant. Yeah, and he is a brilliant man with wonderful stories. Everybody, please enjoy this episode with Warren Carlyle. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This Tony Award-winning choreographer, director, and teacher has a combined 20 nominations between Tony Awards, Astaire Awards, Outer Critics Awards, and Drama Desk Awards, with credits ranging from The Producers, which was one of the most decorated shows of all time, to the Tony Awards themselves, to Music Man, which is now set to open in the fall of 2020 with Sutton Foster and Hugh Jackman. His most recent work, Kiss Me Kate, starring Kelly O'Hara, Will Chase, and Corbin Blue, is now playing on Broadway and has just been extended through June 30th. Warren Carlisle, welcome to the podcast. Hi, hi. Was that, did I do you justice there? That was amazing. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And just to kick this off, uh, all these awards, do you, do you have like a shelf? That's what I always want to know. When you get these awards, you take them home, right? Do you take them home? Yeah. Yeah. Like what, do you have a shelf at home, like next to your baseball trophies? Yeah. And, I, have a bo- I have a bookcase. I have a bookcase that has some, some precious pictures on it and a few trophies. A few of the great awards that you have won. Are the, is it behind glass or does it collect dust? No, it gets dusty. <laughs> it gets dusty. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So obviously, uh, let's get back to where you grew up, which is what we do normally on this podcast. And so tell me about where you grew up and, and what kind of kid you were. All right. So I grew up in a small town called Norwich. It's in East Anglia. It's four hours from London on the East Coast. Um. I was a hyperactive kid, like truly hyperactive, actually. Really, like I ran track and swam and did horseback riding. And then around 10 years old, I saw the movie Top Hat and kind of pointed at the TV and said, I want that. Like, I want to do that. And my mom, God love her, just took me to the um, local church hall. And in the, in the back room of that church hall, there was my first dance class. And a year, a year later, I got a full scholarship to a uh, ballet school and off I went you know my, my life like much like Billy Elliot really that's the best way of explaining my life so you learned how to be amazing at dance in a year and <laughs> good enough to be to get a scholarship out of it yeah pretty much wow that that's incredible I I don't know what I would do within a year that all of a sudden I'd be like yeah well I'll just give you money to go do this hopefully maybe podcasting who knows um so you were so starting then at 11 you were uh, dancing yeah and did you at that time, I mean, did you go away from home or was it still I did when I was 14, yeah. yeah. I did, and I, and I loved it because I was suddenly with, with people who were like me. You know, I think I, I grew up in that small town not like anybody else, you know, in, in an interesting way. And suddenly in the school, there are other guys who are dancing. There are other people who love jumping as much as I love jumping and spinning as much as I love spinning. And I was really, I found my home, actually. Your tribe, yeah, I did. Yeah. I really yeah. found them, and they found me too. And I and I had a great, happy, happy time in that school. That's that's great. So you were then. So that was fourteen, and was it uh, was it still just a normal? Um, was there a normal educational component to this in terms of like science and math and whatnot, or was, yeah. all, was it all just like? Dance? No, it was, there was normal too. There was normal too. But with a group of kids like we were, there was not much normal about it. You know, because we were there to dance. That's really what we were there to do. And I and I studied English, and I studied music, and I studied art, and that was about it. English, yeah, okay. So then, at this point, do you know that you want to 
to go kind of, I guess, um, into the director choreographer, like the creative role, or are you still thinking that you know what's your what's your personal trajectory at this point? You know, at that point, I just wanted to dance. That was all I wanted to do. To me, it was like the Olympics. I just wanted to be in the Olympics, and and really, that's what I did. Like, I just wanted to jump high and and spin a lot, and I did. But looking back, I'd always choreographed. You know, whenever I hear music, I imagine people dancing. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of my earliest memories, actually, even before I knew about dance. That, that's what I did as a, as a young child. And now from my living, I sit in my apartment and I listen to music and I imagine people dancing. So there's a profound, for me, there's a profound connection to my pre-dance years. And then all the way through my dance years, I, I was always the person that choreographed. If someone needed something, it was me. I would, I'll do a number for you, or I'll do a routine for you, or I'll do a ballet for you, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So are you, are you a singer too, or was it all just dancing? No, or, I was. Yeah. I was yeah. a singer. I mean, I did eight, eight or nine West End shows um, in the ensemble, mm-hmm. and, I, and I sang. I think my first audition song was Happy Birthday. Really? Yeah. I, I auditioned for Gillian Lynn uh, for Cats. Was in the year ten. I was in the tenth anniversary cast in the West End, and I said, "Happy birthday" was my audition song. I didn't know that that could be taken seriously. That's actually a really cool story, right? <laughs> wow. All right. Well, that gives me a little bit of hope, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the West End Productions, and then uh, it. Where was it? I mean, how long were you were you performing versus uh, choreographing? And then I guess then when did the when did the directing start to come in? Right, and I think, you know, it's interesting. I think I've always choreographed. I don't think there's ever been a time when I haven't. And when I was about 24, I choreographed a West End show called Pageant. And it was done here. It was done off-Broadway quite successfully, written by Bill Russell. Uh, costumes by Tony Award winner, multiple Tony Award winner, Greg Barnes. Mm-hmm. Um, I choreographed that in the West End when I was 24. So I was already kind of on my choreographic journey. And then I had an opportunity to work with Susan Stroman. Uh, and Trevor Nunn at the Royal National Theatre doing a production of Oklahoma in 1998. Um, and I kind of went back to dancing just just to get in the room for that. I was very, very keen to be in that particular rehearsal room. Um, in that rehearsal room also was, of course, Hugh Jackman, who was not yet 30 years old, playing Curly. Um, yeah, and that was that was a big kind of turning point in my life where I really, I was suddenly in the room with really, really true greats, real greats. And um, it made me all the more determined actually to choreograph and to direct. I love telling stories, no, no matter whether it's through dance or if it's spoken. Uh, I'm a big fan of storytelling and Oklahoma was a, was a really big kind of turning point for that. Hmm. And Susan Stroman, actually, uh, do you want to continue your story with her? Because she's, she's brought, brought you with her to, uh, to a little bit of success. Oh, she's, inc- she's incredible. She's really, really the best the best, has been over the years a great mentor of mine. Um, so I met her for the first time when we did Oklahoma at the Royal National Theater. Following that, I came with her to New York to do the dance movie Center Stage, uh, directed by Nick Heitner, mm-hmm. um, which had both companies, it had New York City Ballet and American Ballet Theater kind of combined for the first time in history. That was really fun, and I spent a really great three months in New York City over the summer working on that. Um, and that was Stro, and and she um, she just has been a great champion of mine over the years. Following that, I was hired to work on the show Fosse. So I learned it at the Broadhurst, and then Gwen Verdon and myself and Anne Ranking, uh, Deb McWaters, we went to London, and then I set the West End Company of Fosse. Uh, while I was doing that, Stroman came and said, hey, I'm doing a show called The Producers. 
So New Musical, it's Mel Brooks, it's Tom Meehan, it's Nathan Lane, it's Matthew Broderick. Would you consider coming for six months and being my associate, associate choreographer on the show? And of course I said yes. Uh, and I came for six months in, I think, uh, early 2000. I came here and I'm still here. So you never left? I never left. You've been here 19 years now. Yeah. Wow. And obviously uh, the producers, I mean, Susan Stroman herself won five Tony, has won five Tonys in her career, but gosh, the producers, like uh, working with Mel Brooks and working with all of these legendary people who were part of this was, did you know that this was kind of like a, a catapulting you to a different level or was it just another gig at the time? No, because I don't, I, no, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. I didn't know what I was doing or where I was or who I was doing it with. I, I, of course, I knew Mel and I knew Stro and I know Tom Meehan. I mean, Tom wrote Annie. Like, he's extremely famous in my mind. And um, I knew I was with great people. And I, and I knew it was a great show. It was a great project. And I, I just had a wonderful time. And I, and I guess I learned a lot from it. That's, that's so cool, though. And then you became actually pretty good friends with Mel Brooks, yeah? Yeah, Mel was incredible. Mel and Anne Bancroft, actually, both. That my first six months in New York, they were my they were my family. It was really, you know, Stroh was very busy directing and choreographing that show, and Mel and Anne were the ones that they put me in the car and drove me around New York and and bought me numerous dinners and lunches and breakfasts, and they were really my parents for my first six months <laughs> in New York. And they wrote beautiful letters for my green card, you know, and I was going from a visa to a green card, the first letter that was it was Mel Brooks, and the second one was Anne Bancroft. I mean, really incredible. They had an incredible uh, impact on my young life. I wonder, you know, if you're the person re- reading the the green card letter, and you're like, Mel Brooks, is this real? You know, I I just imagine like, hey, hey, check this out. Everyone's like coming over and telling their friends in the government office. About and actually, that. you're right, you're actually spot on. Really? When I had my interview at the American Embassy in London. The only question I was asked for my green card was, what's Mel Brooks like? It was the only thing they asked me. No kidding. What's Mel Brooks like? I had a chest x-ray, and they took some fingerprints, and then the question was, what's Mel like? <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. Well, I guess, you know, goes to show, if you're friends with Mel Brooks, you can get a green card. You heard it here first. Um, and didn't he help you find your apartment you're living in now? <laughs> That's an amazing story. He did. Mel has a, a really great son called Max. And Max and I are a very similar age, and I was I was buying my apartment in New York, and um, Mel insisted on doing the walkthrough before the closing. So Mel came to the walkthrough before I closed, and you know looked in every cupboard and made sure I was getting my value for money. He was he has he's been incredible, just incredible with me. Well, he gave you the the way I, the version I heard was that he gave you the okay, did, did the the Mel stamp of approval, right to to live there totally. and and. Um, and then now we can kind of, we'll use this, we can transition into your creative process specifically, but don't you choreograph in your living room? Like that was part of the, the look you were going for? Yeah, and it's part of, I don't think I knew it at the time, but I, I, have a, I live in a pre-war apartment that was designed by the same architect that, architect that um, designed the Broadhurst Theater. Really? One of the, I think he only designed one apartment building in his life, and it happens to be the one I live in. Um, the rooms are extremely generous, they're very square. It was a hotel at one time. Um, they have extremely high ceilings, and they're, but they're big rooms. And, and one of the things I love still, um, almost 20 years later, I love, um, I stand in the middle of my living room and I face this kind of blank wall and I play the music and I move my fingers and I move my feet. And, and that's how I visualize 
um, the work I'm going to do. Yeah, but is it a mirror or is it just straight up? Uh, no mirror, no, no mirror, no mirror. You choreograph without a mirror, really? No, I'm a, no, I can't look at myself. That's terrible. <laughs> that's, that's horrifying. <laughs> I just imagine you at like, you know, kind of risky business style too in the morning in your, yeah. in your tidy whities. You're like, all right, and just moving around and looking at yourself in the mirror. But I guess it's good there's no, no mirror there. Because I'm imagining, you know, I'm imagining Kelly O'Hara. I'm imagining Corbin Blue and I'm imagining James T. Lane. Like I'm imagining the perfect people, not right. the. Not the forty-seven-year-old version of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, for for those who don't know, let's let's back up a little bit. And can you explain the difference for the listeners between like a, a choreographer, an assistant choreographer, an assistant choreographer, associate choreographer, and like any all the different yeah. kind of iterations? Yeah. I mean, I've been. It's what's interesting for me is I've been all of those. I've been all of those things. I've worn all of those hats. So I would, you know, in my journey, swing right. A swing would be first in that lineup. And then that is a person who learns multiple parts and who is ready to go on at the drop of a hat. It's a very particular skill, and there are some great, great, great swings. There are some famous swings on Broadway, and I happen to be a okay swing. I did it once. Um, I didn't write anything down because I didn't know I should. Um, so I just learned 19 parts in my head. 19? What show was that? Pickwick. Wow. Choreographed by Gillian Lynn, actually. Um, yeah, so I, I was a swing, and then I was a dance captain, because generally they just need someone to learn everything and, and be able to run a room or be a voice of reason at times. And then that kind of dance captain voice of reason turned into a, an assistant choreographer voice of reason because then I had, you know, I had ideas about steps or I had ideas about story and I was easy to, easy to be with and pleasant to be with in a room but could say, hey, everyone, we need to do the work, five, six, seven, eight, let's, let's fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I... I've, I had that experience as a kind of assistant choreographer. And then associate choreographer, you know, traditionally, I think legally in the billing, associate offers artistic contributions. They're not noticed in any way and it's not um, paid for in any way or rewarded in any way. But I, th- but I think the, the true legal definition, I think, in our contracts now is that they, they offer um, contributions artistically. Mm-hmm. So I was an associate choreographer on, on numerous productions. On Broadway, it was the producers, and it was Oklahoma at the Gershwin, <laughs> the, pre, the pre-wicked days of the Gershwin Theater. Um, and, you know, then following that, I became a choreographer in my own right. And then choreographer, you know, is someone who's responsible for all of the dance in the show, most often all of the musical staging too. You know, there are many directors that say, when the music plays, it's you, kid. Like get in there and do it, mm-hmm. um, and I love that. So choreographer is a, is a big um, it's a big job and it's a big title. Um, it's something that I take very seriously, but something that I love doing. I love doing it. Do you prefer to to wear the director's hat along with the choreographer hat, or do you prefer to have it kind of separated and trust a, a director to do their side of it? Uh, I prefer both. Actually, it's an interest. It's an interesting question. I love. I love choreographing, especially when when I'm with a really great director, especially when I can go to directing school for a minute. You know, Scott Ellis and I have a really wonderful working relationship. He's incredible. He has a great humor and he's really, really, really super with the actors and he's super with um, fashioning a show. Um, Jerry Zachs and I have a great relationship. Gary Hines, a wonderful Irish director, Irish lady. Um, I loved being with her. But then I also do love, I do love being under my own steam a little bit. I, I like sometimes having a singular vision. You know, Tommy Tune is a really good example of that. Just a visionary director choreographer, designer almost. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and Chaplin, for me, would be a good example of that. That was a very pure director choreographer vision after midnight um, in 2014. was the same thing. Is, is The thing that I dreamt was the thing that was on the stage, and that was a very uninterrupted dream. And sometimes when you collaborate, those dreams get interrupted in some way. Um, and, you know, then just being a choreographer becomes sometimes about dealing with those interruptions instead of following that one singular visionary path. Hmm. Um, but I do enjoy both. I like collaborating. I'm always happy to be with smart people. That's interesting. I'm, I'm trying to pick, think about what I would do. I'm not a choreographer. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mover. Not even a dancer. <laughs> I wouldn't even call myself a mover, uh, dancer. Um, but no, I, I, like, I like the directorial side and... I just don't know enough about choreography. Goodness, I mean, I guess speaking more to your to your creative style or your creative process. Do you, do you do you work differently when you know a cast first, or when you know a script first, or when you have a like the music first? Like, what's the easiest thing for you to start with? I think it's different every time. I mean, each show is different. Each show is unique. Has a unique set of opportunities. Um. I generally start with the music. I like music. I read music. Um, I studied music a little bit in school. That's normally my way in. You know, there'll be a score that I can look at. Um, I play through it numerous times. You know, I'll have I'll have whoever the dance arranger is. Um, in the case of Kiss Me K, it was David Chase, wonderful David Chase. And we spend a lot of time going through the score, really note by note by note by note. Um, that's normally my way in. And Kiss Me Kate was a really fun one because it's about it's about gypsies. It's about us. It's about you know people that love the theater, people that work in the theater, on stage, backstage, um, that great kind of show within a show. That wasn't that was an easy thing to access actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, each each time my process is is very different. And and actually even within a show like Kiss Me Kate has a lot of range. Tom Dick and Harry is completely character driven. That dance is character driven. Three suitors who are all completely different. One is like hot and and jazzy and tries too hard, and one is super cool, and she has to come to him. And the third one is all heart. You know, Corbin Solo is all heart, but those dances were created out of character. Too darn hot um, was a sequence that was born out of kind of dancers and actors at rest. You know, how wonderful to kind of watch them at intermission in the alleyway outside the stage door, and what, what are they going to do? And that delicious kind of battle of the sexes. If the men do a do a section, then guess what? The women are going to do it much better. <laughs> you know, there's a great kind of tension and play in that that I was I was keen to to bring out somehow to lift somehow. Kantiyama was about celebrating beautiful, strong women, like placing these women in those barrels and 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 watching them stomp on those grapes. So I thought that was really just an opportunity for something kind of sexy and unexpected in a way, and some great partnering. And Bianca was just this charming kind of love letter, this guy with his heart on his sleeve, just um, doing anything he could to demonstrate his love. Mm-hmm. So, in, you know, even within one show like Kiss Me Kate, there's a great deal of range and, and, and different skills, storytelling skills or pure dance skills um, with Too Darn Hot. Um, it was a really fun, Kiss Me Kate was a particularly fun challenge. That's, that's really strange. I, I guess in a good way, because uh, with something like Kiss Me Kate too, it, I mean, for any revival, and this kind of applies now to Music Man coming up next year as well. Like, do you do you start from, I guess, researching? Do you research at all, like what was done in the past, or look at what was done and and try actively to, a, I guess, be inspired by it versus 
not do any of it? Like, do you want to be completely original or are you trying to adapt? Mm, I would like to be completely original. Yeah. But it's, but it's difficult sometimes. And I, and I think especially with, uh, you know, the dawn of YouTube, you know, everybody's, everybody's seen a version of what you're going to do, especially with the revival. You know, Follies, I did Follies a few years ago at the Marimarkey, and that was very daunting because I think Michael Bennett had kind of big, sho- big shoes to fill. And a lot of that production is available on YouTube. You can see the original production or you can see parts of it. And I, I just didn't want to be compared and I was nervous about being good enough. And with Kiss Me Kate, I, I saw actually Kathleen's production. I saw it at the, um, at the Hirschfeld and loved it. Loved it, loved it. I loved how much dance there was in it. And I, of course, I'm a huge fan of Cole Porter. But I don't remember, I don't remember much more than just loving it. I don't remember details of it. Um, so when I went to work on this one, it was just like doing a brand new show for me. There wasn't mm-hmm. really a reference to the past. Um, with Hello, Dolly, yeah, there was much more of a reference to the past. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the front of the theater was decorated in the same bright red that David Merrick used on the original production. All of those quotes from the original production were there. So the outside of the theater promised the audience the original production, basically. And, well, and do, I, do you know that though? Do you know that this is what the set's going to look like, and then adjust your choreography based on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Constantly, constantly, because you you adjust it based on the artwork. Like I work on the artwork, like because the artwork is the first image of the show. And if you promise them, if you promise them a garden, you better deliver a garden at the end of Secret Garden. If if there is a beautiful <laughs> flowery garden on that poster, I just promised. 18 million people, a beautiful garden. So when they see the end of that show, that last scene better look like a beautiful garden. Wow. So I'm really, I'm conscious about those things. I'm conscious about those promises. And Hello, Dolly was something that promised, it very much promised in its advertising and in its approach, it promised a really faithful revival. And also, I'm a big fan of Gower Champion, and he did some really wonderful things. That procession in Sunday clothes is how could I ever do better than that? Like having them walk backwards or sideways was not going to be any better than that beautiful procession. So Hello Dolly, you know, was really interesting because it was a very faithful production. And, and I wanted to be faithful to Gower, Gower Champion. It was very important. And it's also that kind of thing where if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. I really felt like that. And the number Hello Dolly was, is really wonderful. And I, of course, adjusted some things within it, but I actually was quite faithful to what was originally done. I think as I should be, and you know, and I, I'm a fan. I was, I'm English in my roots, right, in my heritage. So I believe in tradition. I come from a culture of traditionalists, and I think it's okay in my young adult life to be secure enough to tip my hat to the past and and know that I'll have plenty of chances in my life to be truly original. Yeah. So now with Music Man, are you are you thinking about this already? When do you start the choreography? Oh, like two years ago. Really? Oh, oh like yeah. fully two years ago. Yeah, Music Man yeah. two years ago. As soon as Hugh mentioned he wanted to do it, yeah, I was dreaming about it. Wow. Wow. So even during Kiss Me, Kate, you were already having Music Man dreams. Yeah, moments Dorf. off. I won't, moments I won't tell, I won't tell moments Kiss Me, off. Kate. Yeah, moments <laughs> off. No, I mean, they were few and far between, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. As soon as soon as Hugh was dreaming about that, um, yeah, I was on board with that. So um, for Kiss Me, Kate, or I guess for anything you're doing, um, it sounds like for Music Man, Hugh was the the impetus for reviving this again. But for something like Kiss Me, Kate, I don't know in the creative process where that came from. I mean, maybe you can speak to that a little bit. But um, do do you know? Do you get attached before you know who the cast is, and then adjust based on? Casting decisions, or is it just like, this is what I'm doing, cast somebody to do it? It's different every time. It's different every time. Each, each version is different. 
Um, I mean, some things when I'm on really early, when I'm attached early, I have casting approval over everything or everyone or every department. And um, other things like Kiss Me Kate, you know, Kelly was really the reason. Kelly O'Hara was the reason to do that show. And Scott Ellis, the director, always said, if, if it's not Kelly, then it's not Kiss Me Kate. Then we just, then we just won't. We'll do something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he was right, actually. He was really right about it. She's just, she's wonderful. And she's been a wonderful collaborator. And she's been a dear friend of mine for many years. And um, I'm very, very happy and honored to be in her company. And, and boy, was that a good reason to do Kiss Me Kate. So are you still friends with with Hugh as well? Do you call yourself friends? Yeah. Yeah. Did I just, he, he no, I just you? left him. He he just I left him on a city bike. <laughs> You're kidding. No, we just um we rehearsed today. We rehearsed from ten until three today. You've already started rehearsals. Yeah, not for Music Man. You know, oh. I'm, di- I'm directing oh, for his his, his uh, one man. I'm directing his um arena yes. tour, his world tour. So we are well we are well underway with that. I don't know what if I'd do if I just see Hugh just riding a city bike down the block. I guess that's what he does. Nice guy. Um, so you've choreographed as well for for like the Tony Awards themselves, yeah? Like how did that come about? Um, you know, I don't know. I, th- I think I just got lucky. I think I think someone else wasn't available, and I was probably the third choice, which I have to say I love. I'm much. I am much better when I'm the second or third choice because then I then I can only succeed. <laughs> I think being the first choice is is a terrifying position for me. I'm much better as the underdog. Um, so yeah, so I'm sure there was someone who was unavailable, and I was lucky enough to be the third call. <laughs> um, yeah, and I got to I got to choreograph the um, Tony Awards. I got to stage and choreograph the Tony Awards, and um, coincidentally, it was the year that I was nominated for Best Director and Best Choreographer. Um, that same year, I also choreographed the telecast. Which meant actually I didn't leave Radio City until 5.30 that afternoon. I took a cab home, I changed my clothes, I got back in the cab and went back to the back to the hall and didn't have time to think about anything. And it was a really wonderful, I, it was a crazy wonderful experience. Hugh was hosting that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I'd gotten to know the whole CBS crew and the whole orchestra and, and everyone backstage at Radio City. And it was an amazing um, moment to kind of, walk off stage holding an incredible trophy and then there's there's my buddy of 20 years there's Hugh like well done mate you know it's really a special very special thing that I will I will hold near and dear that's great and that was 2015 and 16 that you did you did both yeah, years or just one? For, no I did both I did um yeah I did two years back to back and the second year was uh Kristen Chenoweth and Alan Cumming Oh yeah, really, really fun, really fun, and we did all the bumpers, and there was a ton of stuff to do, and I and I really, really love doing it. Glenn Weiss, who directs, and Ricky Kirshner, who produces, are an incredible team. They're an incredible team. They love Broadway so very much, and um, they're really good with us Broadway folk. You know, they really take care of us, and I and I think I've had something. I've had a number from one of my shows on the telecast for I think the last, at least the last decade. There's been something from me every season, and I. I just I always feel cared for by them, and it's such a great celebration of this of this business. You know, I really loved choreographing it because I got to see every friend I'd ever met in America. You know, they all walk through the doors, they all rehearse their numbers, they all do their camera blocking, and the day itself is such a wonderful celebration. You know, you do an early early dress rehearsal, starts at nine, and then everyone goes off and they do their shows, and then we all reconvene in the evening. Yeah, those Tony Sundays are such a like a a hefty day for everybody. 
Yeah, it's yeah. really, yeah, yeah. it's I, really I, great. Yeah, people don't realize what goes in behind the scenes like that. Because like you've been preparing for weeks, the actors come in, like the sets themselves have to be sometimes physically moved. Yeah, from That's right. from the the, the theaters yeah. that that end at what five or five thirty. Mm-hmm. They finish their two o'clock matinee and then they're on at eight o'clock that night. That's right. That's intense. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's just a fun. That Tony Sunday is a really, really great, great, great day. It's really, really fun. It sounds like it. And um, then you've also done you've done some other TV though. So you think you can dance? Yeah, I love it. That's, uh, that's I love doing still it. one of my favorite shows. I love doing it. Um, season sixteen, I think, is coming up. I've done five seasons of the show, and I really, I just love it. I love it. I love those kids. I love those dancers. They're young and they're full of life and full of hope. And it's really, it's actually really good for me. It's a really good reminder of why I got into this crazy business. You know, I, I love being around them. The executive producer, um, Nigel Lithgow is wonderful. Jeff Thacker, who runs the entire show is, has become a dear friend. Um, Nikki Parsons, who directs it, is a lover of dance, is a trained dancer. And you get to be with your choreographer buddies. Like, like, when do you get that? Like a whole pack of choreographers, you know? It's actually really fun to be with other creatures who are the same as you are. You know, <laughs> I, just, I actually kind of like it. If this was a, 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 a comedy in my mind, then, you, then all of your pack of choreographers, the moment you said pack, I was picturing West Side Story, and like you're going out to dinner, and you have to eat all your food in unison, and, and yeah. you, you're, you know, jumping down the street. <laughs> It's like a zoo. It's like a zoo. So you think you can dance. It's like a, yeah. a beautiful menagerie of of creatures. It's re- it's really fun. I love 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 doing the show, and I and I love what it does too. You know, it's not a show about conflict. There's no like behind the scenes drama. It's all just about beautiful dancing and great dancing, great music, great entertainment. It's a it has a very wholesome feel to it. And and for me, anything that that brings dance to a wider audience, you know, I, I just I celebrate it. Do you get to to like snipe any of the talent? Do you get to bring the talent into your shows at all? Yeah. Um think about uh Philip Atmore, so you think you can dance Hello Dolly. Think about Melanie Moore, so you think you can dance season eight winner, Hello Dolly. Think about Jess Laprato, so you think you can dance Hello Dolly. Think about Ricky Ubeda. Ricky and I have done numerous projects over the years together. I mean that's that's four without even thinking about it. Yeah. Um, Edson, I just used Edson, Edson for something. Jackie from his season as well. I mean, really, they they're just super. They they are super, super, super dancers. Yeah, you. Um, I'll change the subject a little bit though. You you mentioned when we were talking about the Tonys that you prefer to be the third choice. Is why is that? Why don't you want to be the first? Isn't the first scary? I mean, can't you? I don't. I don't know if I could ever live up to being the first. I. I think I just like being. I think I just like being second. That may just be a personal thing, but I, I like having some room to, to grow. I like having some room to exceed expectations. You know, I think in this business, there's such pressure placed on all of us to to deliver, and this everything costs so much money now. It's like they're paying this guy a million dollars. Well, guess what? I better do a million dollars worth of work. So I, I just I don't know it's a, it's my personal it's my personal thing. Is it? I mean I guess everybody in this business seems like uh, even in like some of the biggest names that I've talked to seem like they have a little bit of imposter syndrome. Still, they're like I, I don't know why I'm here, but I guess I'll keep doing it. And it sounds like it sounds like a little bit of that. He's like, well, I'm not good enough to be first, but I'm okay with third. Yeah. But, but you are good. 
like you, you've got award after award after award, and you keep getting asked to do stuff. And you know, I don't know if you were third choice. What if you were first? Like that would be amazing. That would that would be amazing too. That would be amazing. And maybe one day I'll feel like I've earned I've earned the first choice. Well, what's what what would that take? I don't know. Maybe some more miles on the clock. Maybe some more miles. Like I still, still feel like I've got some more work to do. I've got good. I've got more good work coming. You know, I don't feel like I'm there. Yet. I don't feel like I've arrived anywhere yet. I mean, that Tony in 2014 felt like the beginning of a career, not like an arrival. Mm-hmm. You know, and I that that really felt like a starter's pistol going off in my head. Like, all right, so now you've got this. So let's go. Now let's do the work. Now let's really do something that's gonna. Make a mark, or 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 be part of history in a meaningful way. Hmm. I I don't know. Maybe my advice, I guess, if you want to take advice from me, is don't forget where you came from because where you are now and where you came from probably is miles apart, and you're sitting in a really good place. Hmm. So don't don't cut yourself short. I wonder, but then I wonder if the cutting cutting the cutting myself short helps me get out of bed every day. I think it does with everybody. You know, it's like I think it's such a healthy. I'm such a competitive fellow by nature that it's such a it's such a good thing. It's like such a good motivator for me. Mm-hmm. Of like, no, I still got stuff to prove. Like, I still got a ways to go. So you better get up early and you better get in that studio. Oh yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I feel the same way you do about pretty much everything. But um, you know, I'm just trying to give you a little bit of perspective, I guess, to to remember that you are pretty damn good because uh-huh. you got. A whole shelf of awards that most people will never even get anywhere close to. Yeah. So remember yeah, that. I, I, yeah. yeah, I do. But it's, I will. <laughs> it's just, it's interesting. Like so many people are like, yeah, I don't really know why, but I'm here and I'll just continue to do what I'm doing. And some of the leads on Broadway are like struggling to, to decide whether or not they want to continue on Broadway. And, and because they don't know, they still don't feel good enough. And I, 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 I like the listeners of this podcast, a lot of them don't live in New York and may never make it to New York. And to you know, it kind of puts things in perspective, right? To hear from people who are here and doing it that they don't still feel good enough. Yeah, or you still question. You continue to question. Like you continue to question why or how or am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? Is is this is this enough? Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting um, psychology. But I have to say, I am not without moments of celebration. I am, not, I am not without moments of, I am not without moments of looking at that Tony Award every morning and saying thank you. I really am. Like I really, I really appreciate it, and it certainly for me was, was life changing. It really was that kind of affirmation of the whole business and all of those Tony voters and everyone that I know and everyone that I love just standing up and saying, "We believe in this guy. Like he's he's good enough for this now. Let's let's reward him." That was that was really that was not lost on me. Yeah. Well, now somebody said the other day um, that forever they will be known as Tony Award nominee so and so, and now like you're one of the few people who is Tony Award winner so and so, and that that's no small thing. It's, no, it's very amazing. very hard. Out of how many millions of people did it, did you have to like not a step over is not the right word because it wasn't malicious, but did you surpass mm-hmm. right? So it is a competition. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 really incredible. It's inc- it's incredible. Yeah. 
So anyway, I'm just trying to help you out a little bit. Um, so on this podcast, we have three standard questions that I ask to close things out. Uh, everybody gets asked these. First, simply, what motivates you? Uh, love. For? Everything. Love for America, love for the Upper West Side, love for the MTA, <laughs> love for Uber, love for Broadway, love for dancers, love for actors, love for music. I love what I do. I love what I do. Every single second of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, the rich, the poor, the fat, the thin, every version of myself, every version of this work, every version of this business, I love it. I love it. I could not imagine my life without it. I'm still stuck on love the MTA. I just can't, but okay. <laughs> well, I, the, the last time I went on it was probably 1998. <laughs> well, that's, there you go. That's why. Um, yeah, we were next to, never mind. I won't go down that road. Um, question number two What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? I think I would say, um, I just would say, learn to say yes. That's the most important lesson. And actually the most important advice I could give anybody is just learn to say yes. If someone says, can you jump on that table? You say yes. Can you speak French? Yes. Can you tap dance? Yes. Can you sing? Yes. Can you choreograph a TV show? Yes. You want to choreograph the Tonys? Yes. You want to do a movie? Yes. And then you go home and you figure out how the hell you're going to do it. But I think there's something about being a creative person that if you continue to say yes, you can continue to move forward. And I think as soon as you say no then that somehow, for me, certainly personally, that creativity stops. You, you cut off the blood supply to that creativity. So I've learned over the years, even with every fiber of my being, even if I disagree, I will say yes. I will say yes, because I know then something can come. And it might not be the thing that I'm being asked to do, but I'm able to continue creating. So I, I've learned over the years to say yes, no matter what. Yeah, that's the whole uh, fake it till you make it, which we hear a lot of times too. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really good advice, I think. There's a lot of people who just, they 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 are their own worst enemy. Yeah, and they're or, just afraid or, to try. Right, or keep trying, keep trying. And don't, you know, for actors, don't cut yourself. Don't, don't like, cut yourself from the audition. Like, the, the creative team get to decide when you don't get the job. You don't get to decide that. I think, um, yeah, keep going. Like, keep going, keep trying. They say it takes seven times before you know someone seven meetings or seven auditions or seven tries. Mm -hmm. And I, in my job, I would agree with that. You know, it takes me seven times of seeing someone before I feel familiar with them, before I feel comfortable with them, and before I'm, I'm able to invite them into my world a little bit. It does, that stuff takes time, and it, it is not personal. It's not personal. It just isn't. It's just, it, just, it just takes time. Right. Yeah, this is a business where the, the creative side has to discriminate against your physical appearance and many other factors that most jobs you're not allowed to. Yeah, so it's a very tough business. Um, and then the last question, this is the hardest one. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what show would you see? West Side Story. Oh, that was easy. Easy. Easy, because the first words of the play are dance. The first words of that play is that chasse to stage right, right? That guy's center stage. The mm -hmm. curtain goes up and he chasses. I think it's the most beautiful thing. And that original choreography, that Jerome Robbins choreography and direction, and you look at it, and we still haven't come close to it. There isn't, there is not one of us in this generation of choreographers that have come close. We just, we haven't. It's just that work is that work in my mind is 
the best there's ever been. It is unbelievably great. Well, normally I would close the podcast, but I want to keep talking about that. Why do you think we haven't come close to that? Like if every generation's supposed to get better and learn from previous and now we've got the internet and all the archival footage from decades and decades and decades ago, like we're watching that, we're learning from it. Why do you feel that we haven't gotten even close to that again? No, I just think it, I think it was a per, I think it was the perfect storm. I think it was the marriage of that music, the marriage of the dance, the story. You know that classic Romeo and Juliet story told in a contemporary way. Those kids and those dances are really, really hard. I saw a sequence from it at American Dance Machine a few years ago. And I was struck by how hard the dancers were having to work to execute this choreography. And then you watch other choreography alongside of it, and you realize that we just haven't, we haven't really come close to touching it. We just, hmm. we just haven't. I, I just, it is, I hold it in such high esteem. It really is. If, if West Side was, what, I think, 1952, maybe, certainly yeah. the 50s. Um, yeah, it's just, it's challenging. It's challenging in this day and age. That's so it's so interesting to me. Um, do you know? I actually don't know who's choreographing the the Spielberg movie. I do. It's Justin Peck, New York City Ballet. Yes, Justin Peck. He won a yes. Tony for Carousel, I think, last season. Who's perfect? He's the perfect, perfect choice because in his repertoire he will have Robbins, all right? Because Robbins was a founder of City Ballet, so he'll have he'll have knowledge of that um, original vocabulary somehow. Um, and he has a wonderful, wonderful kind of visionary approach of his own too. He's a really special, special choreographer, and I and I think, in my opinion, certainly the the right the right person for that job. He's I can't wait to see what he does with it. Well, I hope, yeah, I hope he comes close. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and he will, and he will. Cool. All right. Well, we can find you online on Instagram at Warren Carlisle, and uh, I don't think you use your Twitter anymore, do you? No, it's t- it's still there, but somewhat dusty. At Carlisle Warren, um, and then uh, are you anywhere else you want to plug? No, that's it. All right, Instagram, that's it. We're at Warren Carlisle. You can get more of me at theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter, facebook.com slash official theater podcast. Of course, listen, please subscribe, rate, and review. The ratings do help. Uh, you can email at feedback at the theaterpodcast.com. This is produced by Jillian Hockman. And as always, thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for our intro and outro music. Warren, this has been so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.